This is the Grow to Amazing podcast. This is word of the week number five. And today's word of the week is depression. And I debated on this word for a long time and didn't really want to necessarily debate or talk about this particular word. Um, depression's been a fixture in my life for quite a bit of it. And Unfortunately, I've insidiously let it creep into different parts of my life and take it over at certain points and and it still can get me definitely at times. And um, so we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit and and I'm going to open up probably some wounds that I don't necessarily want to talk about here on the podcast, but I think it's also something that I need to talk about as part of my healing journey from that and as part of moving forward. So we're going to do her and we're going to give it my best shot and see where we can take things from there. So depression is, if you look at the technical definition, it's a group of conditions associated with the elevation or lowering of a person's mood. And in my case, it was definitely a lowering. And I don't think it ever got to the point where I was non, well, let's start back at the beginning. That's the clinical definition. My definition is just feeling more like I'm unable to act and that I'm going to take the easy path or push the easy button in everything that I do and not take the bull by the horns and be more of just a responder to events as they occur. And I don't know where that came from. And so I don't want, the last thing I want is for anyone to blame anything that happened uh, or any of my actions or inaction or anything like that on my parents and, and the way that I was raised. That is so far from the case, uh, so far away from being true, um, stuff just happens. You know, I don't know if it runs in our family or if it's just something that I had issues with or what, but uh, it was definitely something I suffered from Um, and still do occasionally. I think I'm much better than I was now. I think having my, and we'll talk about some of the strategies at the end for dealing with it. But to kind of set the stage, I think my depression largely started when I was in high school. I didn't have a great high school experience in terms of friends and things like that. Um, I had a lot of acquaintances. I had some people I hung out with, but I didn't have any good friends and, uh, or friends that I felt like I could go to 24 seven if I needed to, or could just, uh, that I could call a best friend in high school. Um, I've come to terms with that over the years. It was definitely something I had a hard time with right after high school and during high school. Um, and I and there's many of my classmates that I absolutely love now, and they've done stuff for me without uh, without thinking about it twice, or for my family. And um, and so I did have a great class of people that I went to high school with. I just think I was. I was caught up in not feeling like I belonged anywhere. And I was also caught up in a little bit of the hubris of 
my achievement at grades and things like that as well. I think I was kind of cocky about that and set myself apart from them to a certain extent. And so I think I contributed to my own issues there and I didn't have the wherewithal or the ability to step outside myself and and see what I was doing at the time. So I think I exacerbated my own problem. I think I I could have had good friends had I had I chose to friend the people that wanted to be friends with me and and not always try to reach for something that like being in the quote unquote popular group that wasn't going to happen anyway and and didn't need to happen anyway. So um and that I think college was a big change for me because I did feel accepted in college. I felt like I truly belonged probably for the first time because of the environment. I went to University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. I, we had a large marching band at the time. I was a big band geek and I found my home there. Um, and I found an, a family of people, found my best friends there, found uh, other friends there that are still awesome friends to this day and found a home. And I think that helped a lot for my growth um, as a person and my growth as, as my maturation and my, my ability to do well. But I don't know that I fully overcame everything. I think it, it still sat there um, because I always felt to a certain to some extent, my same insecurities were still there. I hadn't dealt with anything yet. I didn't have a true faith life to speak of at the time. I had kind of walked away from my faith once I got to college, got caught up in the partying atmosphere, got caught up in all of that. And so I think some, you know, didn't deal with anything that I had issues with. So I think that was one of my mistakes then was, was not realizing that I had things to overcome and, and thought that just by embracing the band life that I could, that I could just work my way through it. And even in band, I think there were still moments when I felt I was not fully accepted there as, as weird as that sounds that some people just seemed like they had their group and they were good and they were there. And, and I had lots of great friends, but at the same time, I didn't feel like I belonged. And, uh, which, you know, considering I just said that I found my home there and that my best friends were made there, how can I say that I feel like I didn't belong? And I think it goes just, I don't know, if it goes to that insecurities or my desire to feel unique as part of my personality, um, I'm not quite sure where all that comes from. I'm sure somebody that's a psychologist could analyze me till the end of days and, and tell me what's going on there. But I think I always felt like I was on the outside of uh, kind of watching myself go through life and participating in things kind of at arm's length and never felt like I, I was kind of phase shifted away from the real world. And as weird as that sounds, it, it feels right when I talk about it that way. And so I got out of college eventually. I had struggles at the end of college with some relationship struggles and struggles with those same friends. Um, 
and so that was tough. I did some avoidance of things there as well. Um, I didn't hadn't changed my behavior, so I was still fairly narcissistic. I I had not thought enough into the long game when I chose my career of computer science or my major of computer science and math. Why did I want to go down those routes? And I think I, it was partly because I thought it was cool, but was it really truly what I wanted to do? I don't know. When I look back on it now, I could say I wish I would have done X. Or I had dreams in high school of going to medical school, and, but I didn't because I got comfortable and I stopped pushing myself other than trying to get assignments done and meet a class grade and things like that. But I didn't step back and say, what do I truly, really, in my heart of hearts, did I want to do? And I think that's related to all of this and that I was trying to take the easy path through and, and not fail. And um, so I had relationship struggles. I, and I kept, that led me to being, I don't know if it's promiscuous is the right word, but I was in relationships for the physical aspects and did not open myself up to the girls I was dating to really get to know them and to have them get to know me because I think I thought if they knew the real me, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. And so through a lot of my 20s and into my 30s even, I really struggled with self-image and self-worth. And that came to a head with my first marriage. Um, I got married in the year 2000. Um, and I was doing well in my career, but I wasn't happy. I've talked about it before in the podcast that I didn't, uh, that there was a lot of ego involved. And I thought I was always looking towards the next promotion or the next job or more money or something like that to make things easier. I was never happy with where I was. And I think that depression was keep creeping in there and through there. I was irritable with, with my ex. I was, uh, I mean, she may or may not have her own issues. I'm not going to deny any of that. I'm just going to talk about my side of it. And I know that I was, I was selfish, that I was, that I was not a giving and loving husband at the time I thought I was. But again, it was kind of at that physical level. It was, I'm doing things. I'm, I'm, you know, sexually things were all right. And, and I was doing, I was bringing home the bread. I was doing this, I was doing that, but I was not emotionally available or, or I was not making progress as an individual to take ownership of the things that were wrong within my head or within our marriage. Um, so when our marriage started struggling, I started counseling and I was, I, I was kind of at my wits end to, to an extent of what can I possibly do? And it's kind of a nice, nice quote or related, not kind of a nice quote, but it's a related quote of Ned Vizzini from it's kind of a funny story. I didn't want to wake up. I was having a much better time of sleep and that's really sad. It was almost like a reverse nightmare. Like when you wake up from a nightmare, you're so relieved. I woke up into a nightmare. And I wouldn't say it was something where I was like screaming, scared nightmare. It was just, uh, this again, 
I gotta go through this again. I gotta fight like this again because I don't know what to do. And so, uh, you know, I started counseling. I started talking through things back then, cognitive behavior therapy, where it's like self-talk of catch yourself having these thoughts and change them to be something else. That was all, that was a big part of the, the rage back then. And to a certain extent, that's a great way to do it. It's just, we didn't spend a lot of time trying to resolve my previous issues. Why am I thinking that? Why am I feeling that? Why, have I, why do I do X, Y, and Z? And so I think that's why that necessarily didn't help me a whole lot at the time, is that I didn't go backwards. I didn't have a faith life to, to sustain me yet by any stretch of the imagination. And um, let me just also be honest in saying that through all this time, pornography was still an issue. I was still getting my dopamine hits from, from porn. And so that's going to lead to low dopamine levels outside of that. And so I found life to be shades of gray and less interesting than that world. And so that never is a good thing to happen at all. Um, so the place to take this, or the next place to take this, since this, the CBT, Cognitive Behavior Therapy, wasn't necessarily working completely. We had to lift up my moods. I mean, I was down. I was depressed. I was not enjoying life. So I started on medications. And it took two or three meds to find one that did not have the negative side effects that antidepressants can have, and I'll let you look those up for yourselves, but eventually ended up on Wellbutrin and a maximum dose of Wellbutrin. And if that gives you any indication before I started to feel less low on a day-to-day -day basis. I also felt that the highs were muted, but I felt at least on a level playing field at that point. So this was probably 2006, and my marriage still wasn't better. And I think it was most likely, um, unfortunately, it was not salvageable even at that point. Um, but I was still committed to working. I wasn't going to be the one to pull the trigger. And and I was still trying. Uh, I may not have known what it, it exactly was to try, but I was committed and I wasn't giving up. And, but unfortunately, that choice was not mine to make. And we ended up getting divorced, which, bring, which brought on its whole separate set of issues. I mean, there was the divorce, which derailed me for a couple of years, um, losing my job um, and having to find a way around that. All of that, when you are defined by your job, as I was prior to getting laid off in March, April of 2009, that's a big shock to the system. And I think that was where my first realization came, started, there was a nugget planted at least of, I am not my job, I am more than that. But it took me a while to get to that point. It kind of took getting into a whole bunch of ton of debt and being at my wits end and realizing, you know, this, this whole financial game, this whole ego, this whole, I'm nothing now, you know, what do I have to lose to take this to the next step, you know, or to do something about this. So 
So when you get to that point where you've been stripped of everything that you thought you were defined by, you know, I had lost my marriage, I had lost my job, I was in danger of losing my house. Um, you can either choose to suck start a rifle or something like that, or bury yourself in a bottle, or whatever your path is that you might choose. But I think my saving grace at that time was number one, my son. I didn't, I didn't want to miss a minute of his life and the ability to be with him. And I think deep down inside, I wasn't, there was no way I was ready to give up yet. I had committed to a fitness journey. I threw my energy into that and I was still misguided. I think in terms of things, I was still, you, you know, using porn as my upper, um, and did for a while yet, but I wasn't ready to give up. I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of sadness. I, I mean, the Wellbutrin I was still on through 2009, 2010. Um, so that kept me from the lowest of lows, but it was tough. And then I was able to make ends meet. I was able to keep going um, for a time while I tried to figure out some of my stuff. And wasn't necessarily doing counseling then. This was therapy on a bike, doing a four or five hour bike ride on my own with just me, myself, and I to talk to. Um, but it was revelatory from the perspective of what's really important to me. What things really matter in my life. And I quickly discovered it wasn't the job, wasn't even the house. It was my family, the friends that I had, my son. And in the summer of 2009, Jill came into my life And that was the start of the new chapter. But it's not something that she can't change me. My son can't change me. My family can't change me. Nobody can change me except me if I want to. And so it took a while. So gave some prodding from Jill, us falling deeper in love, dealing, starting to deal with my junk and... But I still had that empty faith hole in my heart, I'm sorry to say. We were practicing as Catholic then, and I just wasn't feeling enough from that. And I think I knew that there was emptiness there. I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't reach out to my family about that. Um, I didn't reach out to friends. I have a lot of friends because I didn't think that that as a Catholic was something you did. And, you know, we don't, we go to church, but we don't necessarily talk about our faith all the time. That was my perception, rightly or wrongly. Um, that was my perception. And so, you know, are you just checking the box going to church? Or are you actually bringing your faith into your life, into your heart, and into your soul? And 
Um, so I did better through 2009, 2010, 2011. I got a new job with a new company, the company I'm still with right now. Uh, I started traveling more, so that kind of sucked, but um, my wife and I, Jill and I, worked through a lot of junk on her side, a lot of junk on my side. We started going back and talking about all this old stuff and starting to figure it out and starting to deal with my insecurities of of how I feel about life and things. And I think that's where we started to make a whole lot more of a difference. So, so I'm not where we're at today. I'm still working through stuff, I think, and I think I always will be. It is possible for me to get down probably easier than I should or to get into a situation where I'm blaming myself for something but I try not to wallow in it like I used to. And I try to catch myself and, and deal, not ignore the emotions or bury the emotions, but detach myself from those emotions and kind of let them sit off to the side like a stew or something like that and boil or simmer if they need to while I decide if those emotions are really helping me or hurting me. And... That kind of goes back to a little bit of a stoic philosophy of do you let your emotions control you or do you control your emotion, your reaction to your emotions? And I can control my reaction long enough to give me a chance to deal with it constructively. I'm not perfect at it. Uh, my wife will be the first one to tell you that and I'll probably be the close second, but I'm better. And... I think I still struggle with the self-worth side of the aspects of the aspect of depression. And I'm working to redefine that part of me now as well. That's kind of what this podcast is for is to reach others and give you a chance to understand there is hope that I can do so much more. And so can you, that you can go above and beyond anything you've ever imagined and you can do it one step at a time. It's not going to happen overnight. It is going to be slow, painful at times with regression and backing up two steps forward, three steps back sometimes, but it is possible. I mean, it's taken me my whole life to get to where I am today, and but I want to encourage you that the journey is worth it. And I would also encourage you that, that I wouldn't have gotten to where I am today without having that faith, faith explosion five, six years ago six years ago that without opening my heart to God and giving him a, my anxieties, my inadequacies, my feelings about how I don't measure up, giving that all to him and knowing that in his eyes, I do measure up fully, completely and 100% and that he's the only one that matters. That just makes the difference to me. So, you know, my friends, family may not have known I'm talking about any of this stuff, but I, I, I would guess you've seen nuggets of it over the years at different points in times as I struggled with things or, or dealt with things. But um, so I'm trying to talk through and be open about it. I, I don't want to go too far, <clears throat> too much further down the rabbit hole with this one, but to say that the, the main components of dealing with this would be Obviously, if you're feeling suicidal, call help, call for help, the suicide hotline that I'll put in the notes to the podcast. Do not 
hurt yourself, do anything stupid, um, do anything you won't live to regret. Talk to somebody, find someone to go to, and get help. That may be that may mean medication at least for a time, like it did for me. But it doesn't have to be a sentence for the rest of your life. Maybe it is. I don't know. Everybody's different, and everybody reacts differently. But then get help, whether that be through your church, through friends, through family, counseling outside of church. But I'd also ask you to open up your heart to God to listen to his message and talk through how he sees you and trust in him and build a trust in him. And I don't know how else to say that, but it's been transformational for me. I still struggle. I still have times where, where I'm down, but it's all, it feels different now. I know he is there for me. I know he is there for me to support me and love me and, and, and be there for me when I need him. And I've never felt that before. So get help. Dig up your junk, trace back to the origins of what your problems are. Understand how they're affecting you today, how you react to things. Learn, try to learn how to not be controlled by your emotions. Use those emotions when you need to, but don't let them control your reactions. And then have a faith journey that walks you through it, that supports you while you walk this journey. That's kind of my plan. That's kind of what I do. I'm interested in hearing more and interested in talking to someone that has a better picture on that. Um, because I want to be more happy and I want to love my life and be and just be absolutely all in with everything I do. And I struggle with that still. But I'm getting there and I'm working at it. So, and I think you can be there also. So, for Corona Amazing... This is Tony, out. Mm -hmm.